This is a Federal News Network podcast. Back on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White filling in for Tom. You've seen this before working in or with the federal government. A split government by party lines can mean possible issues when things like the debt ceiling come up. Most times a deal is struck right as time runs out or just before it. Could this time be different, though? To get a sense of where things stand, I had the chance to speak with WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. Well, this battle over the federal debt ceiling and whether to raise it is really going to be getting into its early stages now. And we're going to see this play out over the next several weeks and months, unfortunately. And a lot of people on Capitol Hill right now are saying that there are many parallels to what it was in 2011, but they're worried that it could be even worse, that we might actually get to the brink even closer than uh, more than a decade ago. And that is in part because of what's happening with House Republicans. Many people, whether they're Republican or Democrat, uh, but particularly Democrats, are concerned that Kevin McCarthy, the new House Speaker, is not going to be able to wield the control that he needs over the far right part of his conference. And right now, there really is no specific plan as far as what cuts are being called for by Republicans. Republicans have definitely made it clear that they want this to be linked to getting more uh, reductions in federal spending. Democrats are complaining about the fact that there isn't any specific proposals. Republicans say this is very early, that they have to work this out with the, in their conference. But as an example, let's take a look at some of the things that Republicans are already saying are off the table. Social Security, Medicare, potentially defense. So, of course, that only leaves discretionary spending, and that would ultimately go to federal agencies, potentially affecting federal workers. So there's also uh, some nervousness, I think, right now among many of the uh, unions that are representing federal workers. They say it's very early and they don't want to overpredict anything. But right now they're concerned that if this does get to the brink and it really gets close to what they believe is going to be this June deadline, that then we could be talking about not only uh, rattling of the market, but also concerns about whether federal workers are going to get paid on time. And of course, the biggest concern, would would the government actually default? And that is the biggest nightmare for Republicans and Democrats, as well as the White House. Nobody wants it to happen, but there seems to be less predictability about this crisis than there have been in many others related to Congress and the White House. Yeah. And as you just said, it's hard to predict. But does that uncertainty mean that maybe federal workers should gear up and and start saving some money just in case? I think so. And I think a lot of the union leaders are saying that people should be keeping a close eye on this, that don't just think that even if you've been a federal employee for many, many, many years and you say, oh, okay, I've seen this movie before, there's going to be a lot of drama here and there, and then eventually it's going to get worked out. Uh, Now, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has confidence that it will be worked out and that there won't be a default. Uh, And he potentially could step in if things get really crazy on the House side with the Republicans. But I think because of this uncertainty, it would be a wise thing for a lot of federal workers to start looking at the fact that there could be some very big disruptions uh, in the coming months. So it's better to be a little bit more careful and a little bit more aware of what this could be than to just kind of roll your eyes and say, yeah, I've seen this before. We always raise the the debt ceiling. It's been raised close to 80 times before. But this one does seem a bit different. 
Well, it's not all bad news for federal employees on the Hill. They have a longstanding advocate who is trying to get them some more money when they do work. Uh, What can you tell me about Congressman Connolly's latest efforts? Right. Virginia Congressman Jerry Connolly, the Democratic lawmaker, a longtime supporter of federal workers here in the Washington area as well as across the country. He has once again uh, come out with his proposal related to the FAIR Act that would give federal workers an 8.7 percent pay increase in 2024. This is the ninth year in a row that he has proposed this. And this time he cites the fact that many federal workers persevered during the pandemic. He also notes they've endured government shutdowns in recent years. Pay phrases, pay freezes, rather, agency cuts in recent years. And his proposal once again has the support of major unions that endorse federal workers, including AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. It also has the support of many Washington area lawmakers, as well as from other states. But notably, they are all Democrats. So with Republicans in control of the House, This does seem like it probably is not going to go much further than other proposals have in the past. It does put the alert out there that there are people uh, advocating for federal workers within the Congress and that they are going to keep pushing for this. But at the moment, I think that this is probably going to go the way that many of the other proposals have in the past years. Got it. And yeah, with that change in parties and the change in committee assignments comes the changes to the way oversight is conducted by Congress. Um, Can you tell me about what some of these committee changes and what these changes could mean as far as agency oversight of federal issues? Yes, one of the biggest changes involves the uh, what used to be called the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. It has now been renamed by Republicans as the Ho- House Oversight and Accountability Committee. And that really reflects a change in mission in part related to this. This is chaired by Kentucky Congressman James Comer. He has already been very aggressive uh, with a lot of letters going out to the White House on a variety of issues related to oversight, indicating uh, that the panel will investigate a lot of issues related to the White House. There's been talk about what kind of things could be going on with uh, President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, uh, just among many. But then uh, in terms of what it would mean for federal workers, there's been really uh, a likely it looks like there's going to be a shift in, in the way that the subcommittees under this major committee are going to be moved around. And as uh, Jason Miller from Federal News Network has reported, it looks like the Government Operations Subcommittee, which Jerry Connolly of Virginia has been very involved with, may now be divided into two parts. One would focus on the government operations and the federal workforce, uh, which has been a traditional part of this committee, while a new committee would address things like cybersecurity, IT, government innovation, that type of thing. And um, the committee with the new government operations and federal workforce area, they're going to have oversight over the federal civil service. So not a lot of changes there. But I think in connection with the cybersecurity focus, there will be some changes there. By the way, these two committees used to be one subcommittee. They were brought together by Jerry Connolly, uh, mainly because he had a lot of expertise and really was interested in both of the areas. So that will be a, a change kind of going back to to the way it was before. Also, there's been some shuffling around with other subcommittees uh, within this area. One of them is going to focus on economic growth. Republicans are really big on that. They want to look at regulatory affairs. Also, you know, 
drilling down on, on whether or not there are, in their view, too many bureaucratic regulations on a lot of things that are restricting innovation. And then another one would look at healthcare and financial services oversight. So that will be a new area. And then there's also going to be one uh, that's pretty much similar to the way it is now, uh, but with a different emphasis, and that's on national security. Uh, Republicans, of course, really big on uh, taking a better look and closer look at what's happening at the border. So they are uh, putting that under the rubric of that committee, saying that they will really be looking at U.S. border security and homeland security under that panel. So a lot of changes, and that's just one committee. You know, there are several other changes within the other committees, but I think that's one that you're going to really see a big impact related to federal agencies and federal workers. Yeah, I'm just curious in your reporting and coverage of Congress over the years, did the January 6th committee kind of change how congressional oversight is going to be conducted? Are we going to see more aggressive actions taken towards uh, more political topics now as, you know, House Republicans now taking over may feel like, hey, you went all out for that. So we're going to go hard the other way. There's no question about that. The January 6th Select Committee really has had a ripple effect in this Congress already. Uh, That was at the time when then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi decided to reject two of the members that uh, then Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wanted to put on that committee. And when that happened, he said, beware what happens if we take over the House again. We are going to change some things on our end. And that's exactly what has happened. You see that the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, the Democrat, he has been uh, prevented from serving on that committee. That is some something that Kevin McCarthy, as House Speaker, has power to do. He's also eliminating uh, Eric Swalwell, another prominent Democrat who's been uh, very critical of Republicans. So you're seeing kind of a tit for tat here on that committee particularly, uh, but also you're going to see a shift overall in the committees at at large. Uh, Of course, obviously, because Republicans are in power now, they uh, control all these committees and they have more Republicans than Democrats on the committee. So they're going to be, you know, in the power seat there in connection with legislation. Of course, that part is is more regular. Now, the interesting thing about that is the the Democratic majority and the Republican current majority are, are almost mirror images of what they were. Democrats also had a very slim majority. So the numbers on those committees are fairly similar, but Um, One other committee is the so-called weaponization subcommittee that will be chaired by Jim Jordan of Ohio. Uh, That represents exactly what you're talking about, the fact that Republicans are going to be looking at basically investigations of investigations, saying that there was not enough done by Democrats, whether it's looking at the source of COVID or corruption that they think is in various parts of the federal government, uh, they are going to be taking a really hard look at a lot of federal agencies. So that is, again, something that uh, federal agencies and federal workers need to be uh, well aware of. WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? 
Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. and you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and, and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever, and and you know that you know just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded 
you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yep. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that won't help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization and what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and 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 celebrate differences. And that our athletes, man, are some of the greatest people that you will meet. And and uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes. And playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it. Check us out. Uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.